On this episode of The Popcorn Diet, we're talking about a trio of old school movies that have just been released over the past few weeks. Get your popcorn ready. Welcome all you good movie buddies to The Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, I know we keep saying this, but movies are back. How you doing? Doing great. Movies are back. Movies are back indeed. We uh, we had, I mean, listen, I'm going to be the first to apologize to all of you listening to this episode. If, it, if we would have done an, a single episode for each one of these movies as they came out over the last three weeks, but we've had technical issues. We've had scheduling issues. And, and all of that being said, these were, I think you can agree, David. These were three movies that are, in our wheelhouse of things that we enjoy and they not to spoil the, the podcast, but we enjoyed them to, to varying degrees. And so we definitely wanted to talk about them, right? Absolutely. I mean, they are three movies that very f- much fit the mold of what you and I enjoy from a movie going experience. Yes. And, you know, obviously we're hopefully cross our fingers on the tail end of this uh, pandemic experience. And we were fortunate enough to, you saw two of these movies in theaters. I saw one of them. Yes. I'm hoping to be able to see two in, in theaters before they're out of theaters, but we've been able to go back to the theaters and experience movies the way that we enjoy most, as well as the way that, you know, and I'm sure some people think this is corny or, or, you know, get tired of hearing it, but like the way that directors and the creators of the movies intended for them to be. Viewed. Yes. Yes. Movies are, are, are built to be on the big screen. They, they are meant to be seen on the big screen. And uh, I, I mean, that doesn't mean that they don't have value on the small screen. You know, one of these movies we could only see, you know, what that's, what's funny is that one of these movies, I believe right now you can only see on Amazon prime. That's, that's the only way that you can see the first movie that we're going to talk about, which is without remorse. You can only see it on Amazon prime. There was no theatrical release at all. Now in the, in Amazon prime's defense, they released it on April 30th. I believe it was April 30th. And in the what, three weeks ish since then, you know, things have improved slightly, but you can only see without remorse on Amazon prime on the other side of things. May 7th, had Wrath of Man come out, and you can only see that in the movie theaters right now. I don't believe, uh, if I if I look it up real quickly, um, I don't think you can see that anywhere but the movie theater. Like, that's not on, you can't rent it for, you know, $30 or whatever. Like, you can't rent it for, for any amount of money. That is in the theaters. And then, of course, the last one, the most recent one, the one that came out on my birthday, the one that I was the most excited for, those who wish me dead that came out on HBO max, which has been doing day and date. You can see it in the theaters. If you want to go to the theaters, you can see it 
at your home on HBO Max if you want to see it on HBO Max. So kind of got a little bit of everything with these. And we're going to go all through. We're going to go through each of these movies. We're going to dedicate a little bit of time to each of these movies. But um, I boy, do I just love being in the movie theaters. I know we got, you know, Netflix has Army of the Dead coming out. That's in in select theaters right now. But obviously you can see it on Netflix. Then we're going to get Cruella and A Quiet Place. And like like you said, fingers crossed, if everything works out, like I'm going to spend most of my summer in the movie theater. And boy, I'm excited about it. So I'm, I'm very happy to get back to it. Um, so let's talk about these movies, man. I mean, like I said, we have three movies to talk about. Let's talk about the first one. Let's talk about Without Remorse. This one... I mean, let's just start off with it. It's like, what worked for you for Without Remorse? For those, before we get into that, for those who don't know what Without Remorse is, it is a action thriller. It's loosely based on a Tom Clancy novel called Without Remorse. And it is about a character, uh, former Navy SEAL, John Kelly, AKA also known as John Clark. And it's kind of his origin story. Michael B. Jordan, my guy, Michael B. Jordan is in it. Um, but like if you watched and you have are familiar with Tom Clancy movies, like we're talking the old school Hunt for Red October, Clear and Present Danger, mm-hmm. Patriot Games, Some of All Fears, Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, which I don't think was based off of anything. And then Amazon's own Jack Ryan series. So this is in that wheelhouse, David. How did you like it? Just initial thoughts. What did you think of Without Remorse? You know, I, I enjoyed it. I watched it. This, as you mentioned, this was one of the ones that we had to watch on the small screen. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember how I watched it. I think it was, I think I randomly watched it late at night one night uh, by myself and I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it reminded me a lot about like a 24 episode or a 24 <laughs> season in a lot of ways. Yeah. It, uh, it definitely reminded me or was, a familiar kind of storyline. I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward from that standpoint, but I thought the action was great. I love Michael B. Jordan. Um, I thought, you know, all the characters in it were solid, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a, like a 24 season, there might be some, uh, some leaps of faith you have to take with some of the storyline um, <laughs> for the, the condensed time that we have with it. Yep. But at the same time, like, I had a great time with it. I would have loved to have seen it in the theater. Anytime you've got a good action thriller, I would always prefer to see it first in the theater, but um, it was a good, good time. And I I enjoyed the, I think hour and 50 minutes I had with it. Yeah. um, I think it's funny because you've, I know we've talked about it a couple of times. I know that you've said it remind we, I don't know that we've talked about it a ton on the podcast, but when 24 was on, that was our, that was our shit. Like if podcasting was a thing back then, we would have had, we Hey, maybe we spin off and we do a 24 tribute podcast. And we just do every, every episode is a, is a new episode of 24 where we break it down and we, we have however many episodes there were of the show, but that was obviously Keith or Sutherland. That was action, political, you know, espionage, thriller, all this kind of stuff. And frankly, like it did have a lot to lend to the Tom Clancy novels. That's what Tom Clancy was, political, political action, spy kind of stuff. John Clark or John Kelly 
at the end of the movie as John Clark, he was always the more action focused side of the coin. Whereas everybody knows Jack Ryan, Jack Ryan's more of the strategy guy. You know, he's even though he winds up in action movies, he always starts out in the office. Right. And John Clark is the guy to go out and do stuff. And he's been played. The character has been played, I think. Only two other times. Yeah. In Clear and Present Danger, it was Willem Dafoe. And in The Sum of All Fears, it was Liev Schreiber. So that's a, also a pretty good, like, previous castings of this movie. Yeah. And it's got, a, it's got a strong cast, too. I mean, just to go into it, like, I mean, I really enjoyed all the performances in this movie. Uh, they were what they were. They weren't incredibly surprising because they fill in these um, stereotypes, you know, that you got to have these archetypes in these movies right and so michael b jordan's full-blown superstar in this movie he is got a couple of just incredible sequences he's full-blown action movie star and i loved it in it i loved him in it um (laughs) you got jamie bell former billy elliott himself Mm. uh is playing ritter who was in clear and present danger as well and in clear and present danger he was real just a dickhead and he is also in this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. A real dickhead. And then, like, again, really good cast. Jody Turner-Smith is Greer, which we'll get into Greer a little bit. And then, for better or for worse, I love Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce is, is one of the stars of my favorite movie of all time, L.A. Confidential. Mm-hmm. And uh, I should just say it now, since most of these movies are out and available to for you to see, and most of them have been out for a while, like, we're going to... Well, we're going to talk freely, so we're not going to go outright and try and spoil the movie, but we will talk about spoilers. And so with all of that being said, as much as I love Guy Pierce, the second he shows up in this movie, I'm like, this is that you cannot trust Guy Pierce. This guy's bad guy for sure. Um, what do you think? How would you like the performances? I thought they they were great. I mean, obviously, it's fully centered around Michael B. Jordan. I mean, this is his show. Um, yeah as both evident in the trailers, but evident in the marketing and, and really, I think all Tom Clancy movies, um, at least the ones, you know, like Jack Ryan and that are very much centered around a specific lead and, and focuses in there. But, um, I like you love Guy Pierce. I think he's, he's good in this movie. And I think he's part of kind of, maybe the weak points of this movie in the sense that like a lot of things are kind of telegraphed a little bit. We got yeah. a little bit of uh, misdirection with, uh, with Jamie bell with Ritter. You think maybe he's the you mole, know, like the mole or that kind of stuff. But um, other than that, I mean, it's a straightforward movie and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think we've gotten so accustomed that like people will complain that like, it's a bad thing if you figure out, who the the bad guy is or right. you guess who the bad guy is no and, and i don't think that's necessarily always true like if if you're making a big deal out of the aha like this person right. is the bad guy then sure but if that's like a footnote in it then i don't think it's really a big deal if like some of what you do is telegraphed as long as what you do is done very well and i think for the most part this movie does it very well like the action is is great we get some good action pieces we get some memorable moments uh one of them i think is in 
the trailer, but when he lights the car on fire and interrogates <laughs> the guy, um, obviously that's a fun, however unrealistic it is, uh, moment it's of bad the movie. Ass. It's, <laughs> it's badass. It's what you want in an action movie. So I'm I'm here for it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. And and that's the thing. And and you know, it's funny. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bust your chops about it, but you basically just articulated why. I don't mind spoilers too much. Uh, and, and, you know, and listen, I'm not going to argue. I, I'm not going to argue about like the joy of letting a story unfold in front of you. Right. I get it. I get it. But I don't mind spoilers because, as you said, oftentimes it's not about knowing how it ends. It's about seeing how they get there and and watching it all unfold and admiring the craft and the skill behind it. Um, that's, that's my general philosophy on it. And I certainly Why you gotta try and pick a fight in the middle of a, <laughs> in a epi- an episode where we're trying to cover three movies. You, you want to fight over spoilers. I'm again. not trying to pick a fight. We'll talk about spoilers <laughs> with the next movie too, because this, you could just, the second it was out, everybody could watch it and spoilers are on Wikipedia, like immediately. Um, and, and, and you know what, like, again, This movie has, I think one of my favorite parts about this movie, and the same is going to be true of all three movies, is that there is nothing in this movie that could not have been done maybe back in in 1995. Okay, but. I just love some of the sequences in this movie. I think some of the I think it's got some of the better action sequences that we've seen. Uh, Stefano Solima, who directed uh, Sicario 2. Day of the Soldado directed this. And there's a couple. You mentioned the, the lighting the car on fire and then getting into the car. That's that's new. That's something I haven't seen before. But he stages action sequences so well, and there's a ton of tension, whether it be the opening action sequence in Aleppo, whether it be the the um like the home invasion part, you know, which is like terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the the final like 30 minutes or so is pretty damn good as well. But my favorite one, and I'll throw this as well as you like, you know, as far as the action goes, what your favorite one is. But the the whole airplane sequence where he's got to dive like he does this dive down into a sinking airplane. I'm terrified. I was literally like, I feel the anxiety like that's my. That's a that was a terrifying sequence, but it also like just really well staged, well shot. There was a lot of long shots of him actually being underwater, swimming through this plane as it continues to sink. Uh, And I was just that's going to stick with me for a while. Like that sequence was really, really cool. Is there any action that stuck out to you particularly? No, you know, I think what this movie reminded me of, and we'll get into it in with without uh, or in uh, Wrath of Man as well, is just the undeniable mark that John Wick has had on <laughs> action movies in general. Yes, because it there was a time when we didn't really focus on where people were shot most of the time, but like now we've gone into when we have these like these experts in their trade and these, you know, these really good, you know, people with weapons in essence, right. We pay attention to it's all headshots, like headshot, headshot, headshot. Right. And a lot of the action is very, you know, fast moving, you know, as far as loading the weapons, shooting the weapons, all that kind of stuff. And it very much feels influenced 
from John Wick. And um, not that there's not also some some comparisons that you could make of the storylines of this with the whole revenge uh, revenge narrative, but there's always got to be a dead wife somewhere or a dead baby or at least like. I don't I don't want to, you know, knock it for being cliche, but yes, like, OK, we're on well, a, all three of these movies have something similar in that regard, except maybe the last one. Yep. Yep. So but I, I was here for it. I mean, it it uh, it was on a level that I sat up and noticed it, you know, and paid attention to it and, and admired the work that was done there. And I think that's a credit to it on its own. It didn't feel like it was just like kind of generic go through the motions, military yeah. action and things like that. Like it, it felt like they attempted to make it feel a little bit different, make it feel a little bit more intense. Um, we get a tie in to our, our last movie too, with Taylor Sheridan. So yep. um, I definitely wrote it. I definitely felt some of him and in, in how they established some of the relationships and, and some of the bonds, um, you know, as, as I sat back and when I found out, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, whether it be him with who's his superior in the military, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Greer. I think it's Greer. Greer. Yeah. So that's, so yeah, Greer. Who is connected to the other Jack Ryan stuff? Yep, yep. Um, whether it be the relationship they build, whether it be you know the relationship with his wife and that, like, there's just very natural relationships that are built very quickly. Which you know, when we get into, for those who wish me dead, we'll talk a lot about Taylor Sheridan. But I definitely right. felt it at times in this as I as I thought back on it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Greer is really interesting because, you know, without getting into too much of like the, I don't know what you want to call it, the Ryan verse or the, the Clancy verse or whatever. A lot of people have been talking about that. And I wanted to mention, you actually had some fun tips about how long this movie has been in production mm -hmm. or like been like, you know, produced. Well, yeah. and I'll let, I'll let you do that. But the point I want to make is that this was produced by Paramount and then bought by Amazon. Mm -hmm. So even though, even though Jody Turner Smith is playing Greer, that is, is not. And, and even though Wendell Pierce is playing Greer and even though Greer has always been a, a black character there, it's not a gender swap. Greer in this movie is technically the niece of the, of Wendell Pierce's Greer or the, the I mean, Greer is played by, uh, James Earl Jones in the Harrison Ford movies. So like there's room there, you know, to maybe connect them. But at the same time, Amazon did not produce this movie in the same way that they produced the Jack Ryan series. They bought this movie and then just said it's an Amazon original because this and as you, I'll let you say, like this movie went through a lot of time to just get bought by Amazon and put on television. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, so the novel came out in 93 and pretty much as Clancy wrote it, it pretty much went immediately into film development. You had people like Keanu going back to the John Wick tie uh, that was rumored for it. They threw like $7 million at him and he still said, no, you had, um, oh, there was a bunch of different people that were in there. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Gary Sinise, not all for the same character, obviously, but, Right. Um, Tom Hardy was approached to play Clark. 
Kevin Costner uh, was supposed to play Harper at one point, um, which he does in, in shadow recruit. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it went through a lot of different things. Um, they brought in Taylor Sheridan because the original script was written in 20 or in 93, right when the, the book came out. And so they brought him in to basically rewrite it. And so, yeah, I mean, it went through a lot and finally, you know, obviously came, was ready to go. It was filmed in, in late 2019. And I think they completed in October of 2020. Yeah, it was done. Probably was influenced a little bit or slowed down a little bit by the pandemic, obviously, but, um, but it was, it's been, it was done and sitting there since last October. Just like, and I'm not going to get into it. Like it was done. Paramount didn't have the release schedule. They sold it to Amazon. Amazon. I think the only thing that bugs me is that Amazon gets to be like, this is an Amazon original. It's not really, you know, you bought it and now you're going to put it out there. You know, whatever. Fine. Um, But like, I wouldn't mind if John Clark and Michael B. Jordan and John Krasinski showed up. Like, I wouldn't mind that at all. It would be very good. Well, are you in for more? Are you in for more? Rainbow Clark? Six. Yeah, well, they got to build the universe, <laughs> right? They got to build the universe. No, I, I, I would, I would be in for it. I think, you know, the thing that I don't want is to necessarily like, I don't want to go back through all the stories we've already done of Clancy's and, and maybe you have to, to some degree. Sure. Uh, Jack Ryan with Krasinski already kind of went into some of the storylines we've seen. Before. Yeah, they didn't they didn't directly like clear and present danger has like a number of really like great set pieces. The one mm-hmm. from clear and present danger most commonly known is the whole suburban favela assault. Mm-hmm. And even though the plots don't match up one to one, they do the suburban favela assault in the second season of Jack Ryan. So it sounds yep. like they're not adapting anything directly, but they are certainly, you know, connecting and and doing a little bit of like reinterpretation yeah i i I think where i go is i just don't want us to like i mean how many jack ryan's have we already had at this point so it's like a lot i don't i don't need another jack ryan like if we're going to expand this universe like let's expand it let's keep krasinski let's keep michael b jordan right let's i'd like a little consistency please let's build on this i don't need another recasting and another like we don't need to treat tom clancy movies like batman you know i was gonna say (laughs) every every few few years we're recasting and redoing some of the same stories over again we got just different ways we got for i mean obviously this wasn't jack ryan but jack ryan had alec baldwin for one movie harrison ford for two ben affleck for one chris pine for one and now you got krasinski for two seasons and they're filming a third they're there the third is in is in production. So I I can't imagine like Michael B. Jordan saying, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like he helped I think he helped produce this movie. Did he produce it? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, he got a production he credit. Yeah, he got yep. so like he's he's like financially invested in this character. So I'm in for more John Clark, and I have to imagine you're in for more John Clark too. Yeah, I'm in. as he's known now. Yep. And Again, like, I don't know what that means because this movie was released to Amazon. Did it make enough money 
is um, Amazon going to make Rainbow Six? Is Paramount going to make Rainbow Six? What are the rights? What are the, I don't know. It's, it's, with, sometimes I wish I didn't know as much as I know about like insider baseball when it comes to movies. Well, and I would argue too, like, I don't see Michael B. Jordan going to Amazon Prime and doing the John Krasinski thing. Like, I think Michael B. Jordan's probably a little too big. I could be wrong um, at this point that I don't think he's going to start doing seasons of, of John Clark on, sure. uh, on Amazon, nor do I think he'll be doing a guest spot in John Krasinski's Jack Ryan. Like, I think he's a little too big for that. So I think <sighs> if we were to get a Rainbow Six, and who knows? I mean, obviously, small screen and, and TV shows are looked at a lot differently right. than what they were, you know, five, 10 years ago. It's true. But I just don't see it happening. I mean, he's he's a little too hot as far as like he can probably do pretty much anything he wants right now. Yep. And I just don't see, you know, t- chasing Tom Clancy into, you know, a recurring TV show on on Amazon is going to be the route. So yeah. I think if we're going to get a Rainbow Six, and it's going to be Michael B. Jordan. Like it's probably going to have to be on the big screen, not, you know, on a on a yeah, prime sure. series or something I mean, like that. I mean, I'll be there. He's busy. He's a busy guy. He's going to direct Creed three. Like who who knows if and when we'll get another one. But I'll be there right. for it. I'll be there for it. So because we're doing these three movies, obviously every movie we got to give a popcorn rating too. So we're going to give three popcorn ratings for this episode. What's that noise? Popcorn. Now, if you've never listened to an episode before, first off, thank you. This is kind of a weird one to start out with, but whatever. Welcome. Um, and we rate our movies a little bit differently on the popcorn diet rather than giving it three stars, four stars, five stars, whether than giving it a thumbs up or whatever. We have a series of popcorns that actually means something, you know, each one means something. So burnt popcorn means a movie is garbage. Throw it in the trash. Don't waste your time on it. Stale popcorn means like if you absolutely have to, if you're curious or, or, or masochistic or, or whatever, like you could watch this movie, but it's not very good. We did not find it very satisfying. Microwave popcorn is right in the middle. Sometimes it can be pretty good and satisfying. Other times, mm, a little disappointing. Your mileage may vary when it comes to microwave popcorn. Then we have movie theater popcorn, which means if and when you can, you should probably check this out in a movie theater. It deserves to be seen on the big screen. It's of high enough quality to check it out in a theater if and when you can. And last but certainly not least, we have perfect popcorn, which means, again, as long as you can do it safely, as long as it's available, Go and see this movie on the biggest screen that you can because it's perfect. It's a great time at the movies. And then if we're ever in the middle somewhere, we like to throw a soda on as sort of, for lack of a better explanation, our half of star. So, David, for Without Remorse, what is your popcorn rating? I am going microwave popcorn okay. and a soda. Okay. So A little low. I... I you know, it's one of those things where part of it may be impacted by the the fact that, listen, you don't even have a choice to uh, see it in the theaters. So That's it true. could be impacted a little bit by that aspect. Um, but it was, you know, it was very straightforward. I mean, Guy Pierce is in it, but I wouldn't say like you're getting some, 
like great Guy Pierce performance. And I would argue kind of that's true across the board. Like everybody's <laughs> fine in it, but it's yeah. not like it's one of those films that really allows actors to like show what they can do. And so, you know, it's after that, it's pretty much a, a solid action flick. And um, so I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. If it was in the theaters, I would have seen it. Maybe that experience would have pushed it up to movie theater popcorn for me, but I'm going to kind of go in between movie theater and uh, microwave with the, the soda on the side. That makes sense. Uh, I'm going to go movie theater popcorn. I, I had a good time. I'm, I'm here for it. I think I'm probably a little biased because like, I'm like, I, anything Michael B. Jordan does I'm in on, like he's one of those, the new superstars where I'm just interested in what he's doing, whatever it is. Um, and he's the, you know, he's the showcase. This is his movie and this is him being a badass action star. This is him fighting, you know, with a pillow sheet in a, in a prison by himself. Like it is, it is his showcase and he crushes it. And as you said, like everybody around the sides fills their roles in pretty well. Is it a little formulaic? Yes. Is it a little predictable? Yes. But the things that it does well, I think it does pretty damn well. So I am going to be giving without remorse Movie theater popcorn. If you haven't checked this movie out already, like we said, it's on Amazon Prime. What's stopping you? Aside from you're not in, you know, subscribed to Amazon Prime with which if it's true, my hat's off to you. I don't know how you live, uh, but check it out. It's very good. So that brings us to our second movie, David. And our second movie often. I don't know how else to say this, but I I am very I'm not going to ask you this like realistically. It feels like they called you up and were like, how can we make a movie for you? It's pretty close. Wrath of Man, directed by Guy Ritchie, starring Jason Statham, a movie, a revenge action, heist, crime, all the stuff that we love. Like, absolutely. All all the stuff that we love. Uh, they decided to put in one movie together and they decided to say uh, what was nice is we were we were talking about this before where originally Black Widow was supposed to come out on May 7th and I would have very much liked to see Black Widow on May 7th. I'm fine waiting for it. But when that moved, Wrath of Man slid right into that release date. And so it was kind of like a you know win win for us in that regard. But before we even get into whether or not we like the movie, is there anything like Jason Statham and Guy Ritchie can do together? Even though it's been a while, this is kind of a reunion for them. Is there anything we put them involved in a movie? Is it going to go wrong for us? Uh, not in my opinion. Obviously, I'm biased. <laughs> but here's here's my thing about Statham in particular. He He reminds me in a lot of ways of like Jackie Chan in the sense of like... Ooh. If he does a movie, you're getting like all that he has into that movie. Like he doesn't phone in any movies. Like there's some actors like you can tell they're just cashing a paycheck. Sure. And Statham has done some, I would argue, not great movies as far as like the concept, the plot, everything that goes with it. <laughs> but there's never a question of whether he, you. <laughs> of whether he is fully committed to it. Like whether it be from the physicality of it, since most of his movies involve him being very physical. Yeah. Or whether it be from just 
Like he, you always know what you're going to get from Statham and right. Or at least a minimum bar. Sometimes he takes it up to another notch and, you know, goes even beyond your expectations. But like, there's never been a movie where I'm like, man, Statham was just kind of like, whatever. He wasn't eh. great in that. Like he shows so, up. So that would be my comment there. I also have enjoyed that. He's always kind of had that guy, Richie vibe to him in general of kind of like kind of the cocky Englishman type of vibe that he gives every one of his roles. Like oh, he's yeah. always good for some, some, uh, some laugh out loud one liners or things like that. Oh pretty yeah. Much everything that he does. And uh, I, I've just always enjoyed it. And Guy Ritchie, I think, you know, yes, most of his films, I would argue, are probably a little bit more male dominated as far as viewership. If you look at them and, and the subject sure. and the content with it definitely is probably a little broy in a lot of sense. But um, but Who listen, cares? who cares? It's, it's a, a style of movie that I enjoy. I've enjoyed you know, pretty much every movie I've seen from Guy Ritchie um, have some of them been better than others. You know, I'm looking at King Arthur for that sense. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but um, I almost don't yeah, blame I'm, him I'm for here that. for it. I almost I don't. don't. I almost don't blame Guy Ritchie. Listen, Guy Ritchie's had a couple of missteps. I think I think I think King Arthur Arthur has swung back around to being underrated again. I think it was underrated <laughs> at the beginning. But like, I think people really, truly miss like the really fun stuff about that movie. His biggest. Uh, I don't know what the word is. His biggest. Uh, Achilles heel. Maybe not Achilles heel, but like his biggest offense, <laughs> I should say, um, was swept away. Like when he okay. I think he won a uh, I think he run a, a. What are they called? The Golden Raspberries. Is it the Golden Raspberries? Yeah, yeah. The Razzies, the Razzies, oh, Razzies. Yeah. yeah. And he won a Razzie for swept away. But like other than that, like all of his crime movies are pretty good. Both of his Sherlock Holmes movies are dope. I don't care who you are. Like those are good movies. Those are fun. Absolutely. Action adventure movies like Aladdin is a weird one because Guy Ritchie didn't need to direct the Aladdin movie. And Aladdin didn't make a billion dollars because of Guy Ritchie. But like it worked. It wasn't terribly offensive to me. Um, and then King Arthur which is, you know, it is what it is. But his underrated masterpiece is 100% The Man from UNCLE. If you haven't seen The Man from UNCLE, watch it. It's very good. It's Army Hammer, which nowadays, not so great. But Henry Cavill, uh, Alicia Vikander, Hugh Grant, great cast, really just suave, fun espionage. Like, we're going to dress cool. We are going to be... You know, these James Bond, super cool agents and trying to save the world. Definitely check that out. This movie that we're talking about, Wrath of Man, is not it is. I don't want to say it's the opposite of that, <laughs> but this movie has dirty, grimy, like piece of shit characters top to bottom. Yep. And. Uh, I mean, let's get into it. Let's let's talk about it now. Like this cast is. I mean, it's it's not like full of A-listers per se, but it's full of a bunch of like, oh, that guy. Mm -hmm. And it's phenomenal. Who who would you say? Obviously, Statham is Statham. Sure. But we bow at the altar of Statham and well, he's great. Well, well, let's start out first and foremost with 
one of my favorite surprises from this movie, uh, which was Andy Garcia showing up. And <laughs> the unmarketed any Andy Garcia. I don't think Andy Garcia showed up in any trailers or anything. Nope. And you know, you get probably I would say about 20, 25 minutes into the film when he shows up. And I love that his <laughs> his name is the king. He's just known his, as the king. It's dope. He's just known as the king. He's obviously in law enforcement, um, but it's he's so not good. even like, you know, FBI agent king or anything like that. He's just literally called the king. He's the king. And, you know, he's he's doing that kind of man behind the curtain type of. Uh, yeah. Kind of role. And he's just Andy Garcia. I mean, he's fantastic. So he's great. I loved unexpectedly having Andy Garcia showing up in this movie. So that, that was huge for me right off the start. Then it was our, our friend, Josh Hartnett, just showing up as a, as a character named uh, boy sweat, Dave, Josh Hartnett. And yes. Out of nowhere. I mean, at one point, like the next big thing has disappeared, continue to do work, but obviously not the same front of, yeah, you know, the screen, big just screen, not. Pearl Harbor esque yeah. roles. But I've always enjoyed him in everything that he's he's done that I've seen. I haven't seen a lot of what he's done lately, so I don't know whether I would could say that across the board. But of what I've seen him in, I've always enjoyed him. And I feel like he does a really good job uh, in his character as kind of this, like, douchey, like... Cowardy. Talks, talks big, but is actually a coward type of character. Yep. 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 He's great. I can confirm also... I looked up the Wrath of Man posters really quickly. No Andy Garcia on the poster. No Andy Garcia in the trailer. And I don't know how many people, like, when Andy Garcia showed up, had the same reaction as we did. But I leaned over. I literally, we're in the theater watching this movie. I leaned over to him. I'm like, is that freaking Andy Garcia? <laughs> and I just laughed because I was like, that's just one more thing. One more thing that we love is to have Andy Garcia show up and be this this crazy like he's not that crazy. He's like he's very Terry Benedict still, oh, which yeah. is which is just the best. Like, cool. Like, give him a different name, whatever. But Andy Garcia is Terry Benedict. Like, awesome. Um, And it's got a bunch of that, guys. Josh Hartnett, Hartnett is great at as the character that he plays. But you got guys like Laz Alonzo, who's who's really picking up steam as um, I can't mother's milk on the boys. Uh, you got a regular Guy Ritchie, you know, player in Eddie Marzen playing the he's kind of a cowardly boss, but he also kind of like looks out for his people, which is is a weird balance. Uh, Jeffrey Donovan. I love seeing Jeffrey Donovan show up in things. He's in Burn Notice. Everybody knows him from Burn Notice, but he's also in Sicario and he's great in this, too. Um and then like Scott Eastwood, a lot of people are saying Scott Eastwood is I don't I never understood this. Do you understand like when somebody's like, oh, this person like has no personality. Like this actor has no personality. I, I have a hard time understanding that criticism, especially if I don't like agree with it or I don't see it. But Eastwood's always been like, oh, this guy doesn't have personality. And he plays the loose cannon like guy on the robbery team. And he's great at it. Like he is yeah. a real like stone cold. Like oh yeah, don't trust this dude. He's gonna kill everybody. I thought he was. I love Scott Eastwood and what he was doing in this movie. He's not asked to do a ton, but I thought he was great. What about you? 
Well, here's my thing with Scott Eastwood. I think, you know, obviously having the Eastwood name, there's always going to be a level of expectation of yeah. who he's going to be or what he's going to be and that kind of thing. So I think some of it, some of the judgment on him probably starts there. But I think he's also someone that, sure, he's not, he's probably not going to win an Academy Award anytime. But like, no. Like he will continue to be a fine character actor in action movies and he'll be the same type of role in all of them. But that doesn't mean he's bad. Like just because he doesn't have the range to go and be like the lead in like a romantic comedy or something doesn't mean like we need to, you know, pile crap on him every time he's in a movie and say he's not good. I mean, he was great in this movie as, as who he was. and did I want him to be one of the other roles or more involved? No, he was great at what he was and and nothing more. So, um, yeah, I thought he was good. I thought he played that role. Um, you know, whatever it is about him, he's not that difficult to dislike. So, I mean, that's yeah. always something good to have in your bag too. If you want to get some action movie roles, because you can always be kind of on that, that side of things. And so, yeah, I thought he was good. I think the only one that at times seemed a little weird to me was Holt. Um, Holt McCallany, our old guy, Holt McCallany from God, he's been in everything. I know right? he's been in so much. And like some of the like BSing back and forth he had with Jason Statham just didn't quite feel natural to me. Uh, okay. But I mean, other than that, I mean, I, I it's not that I'm not a Holt fan. I just, some of the dialogue that he had seemed a little rough <laughs> to me. There, but, uh, um, there's other a than that, I thought he was good. What's his line? He's like the di- he talks about like something like the dichotomy of man have gone from hunting our food to eating pop tarts or something like that. You're right. It's not exactly like the most. He kind of sar- sounds a little marble mouth saying it. But at the end, and this is something we can talk about, like as a surprise. And one of the things I actually liked. At the end of the movie, because he's the. I mean, again, spoilers, but he's the inside guy. He's the plant, right? And when when guns start going off, he gets ruthless. And that's when I was like, I think that, to me, offset the weird dialogue and the try and pitter-patter back and forth. Like, the second it started getting real, I was like, okay, Holt McCallany, he's, he's in his lane again. Sure, yeah, the last... 30 minutes of Holt is, is fantastic. I, I loved him, but it definitely in the beginning, he just kind of started off a little rough and I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. Hearing more from Statham and some of the other guys. And right. So, <laughs> right, or, right. Or even, even Josh Hartnett and boy sweat. And so like, let's, let's talk about the movie. Like, I think, you know, I, again, I love this movie. This movie had all the elements of things that I enjoyed. I think it's, uh, you know, I don't know how to way to describe the way the storytelling unfolds, but there's a couple, there's some overlapping like storytelling choices, which I think maybe get in the way of each other a little bit, but like you reminded me of this not too long ago. Cause I, I had forgotten about it, but this movie is number one is split up into chapters. Mm-hmm. And every time, a chapter name fades up on screen. I just was like, <laughs> okay, let's go. Like, Cause the chapter names are just like a, a dark spirit or uh, I wish I could remember another one, but a dark spirits was a really good one. 
-hmm. and then like liver lungs heart and i'm like oh my god oh my god let's go let's keep going what's the next one you know you animals and i was just like oh my god i'm just excited to see where it's going i love the the chapter titles and the way that they use those and then they use and i want to get your thoughts about this because I, it's not that I was confused. I, I thought it was laid out pretty well. I thought it was pretty smooth to understand. But they it feels like they go out of their way to do these confusing time jumps where it starts at a point and then it jumps back to like a month earlier and then it jumps ahead to like three months later. So now we're technically two months from when the first time we started. And then it goes back to like, three, uh, you know, six weeks or like it does this weird back and forth. How did you feel about that? Did that throw you off at all? You know, it, it didn't too much. Um, you know, for me, I think what I enjoyed was just that this, I mean, I always enjoy kind of how Guy Ritchie doesn't tell stories in kind of a traditional way. And so um, I enjoyed kind of piecing together. I think anytime it's a heist film too, I always enjoy kind of that non-traditional or non-linear storytelling because you feel like you it allows you to kind of think what happened right like when you start kind of at the end or midway through it allows your brain to kind of think like oh maybe this happened or or maybe it was that guy or maybe it was this guy or that kind of thing and so um i like the way that he pieced it together to kind of give you a little bit of more information show a little bit more of motivation and like kind of gradually fill in those gaps and so i enjoyed kind of the format that they took sure didn't take me out of it in any way um and i thought it was it was a way of doing and this is something we've been talking about how each of these movies feels kind of like a a classic action film in a lot of ways or or has a lot of ties to that and i think that was one thing that allowed this to feel a little bit different than just your traditional straightforward heist movie. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, like, again, you can make this movie in 1995 with the same, almost, almost the same thing. Like you might even be able to make it with the same cast almost, maybe not, maybe not Eastwood or Hartnett, but like McCallany was around then and Statham was just getting started. Statham's first movie was 98 though. So it'd be a little early, but like there, one of the things I really liked about this movie and this is like a film nerd thing, but like it had some good shots, you know, it had good cinematography. It had good um, just like shot placement and framing. This movie does some really interesting stuff that had to be done with drone work. Just the way the camera moves that it did not take me out of the movie because some because one of the main goals of the movie is to make sure that the audience is unaware that the camera is there. Right. Because it breaks the illusion However, like there's a one shot where it's it's from top down and it just pulls up from the street corner and it keeps pulling up and pulling up and pulling up and pulling up. I was like, I love that shot. I thought it was great. I can't remember if it was that same shot that then panned to the city skyline or if that was a different one where it like followed a truck and then panned over to the city skyline. I was super into all of that. I love the way that that looked. Yeah, I think especially with, you know, you think of basically the 
the inciting incident of this all, or, or at least kind of the opening incident that causes Statham to go off. And we see it. Another dead family member. At least, do we see it twice or three times? I think it's just twice, but we see it from obviously two very different angles. We see it three times. We see it. We see it at the opening heist, which is all done from the, like the backseat of the, of the, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 The armored car. Then we see it from Statham side of things. Then we see it from the cruise side of things. Yep. So we see it three different times. And I appreciate that. Obviously you would expect that we get different camera angles, but right. I do appreciate how in the final one that we get, you kind of get that overarching shot that, you know, at this point now we have kind of the full perspective of what happened in this incident. And we are kind of getting that overhead shot of LA. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of cool things that he chose to do with kind of the cinematography and, and the way that he presented um, this story that is a little bit different than, than what we traditionally get from Guy Ritchie. So I enjoyed that. I even enjoyed the Bond-esque intro that we got, which, <laughs> you know, Guy Ritchie being an English guy, I, I don't know that he'll ever get a chance to direct a Bond film. I appreciated him, him taking this on himself to do a Bond-esque stylized artistic type of uh, opening that we've grown to expect from Bond movies. Yeah, well, that's super funny you bring that up, too, because you're right. Like, there is this I was that was another re- thing where I was like, what's going on here? We're doing this whole opening credit sequence. You don't normally get movies with long opening credit sequences anymore. Obviously, they are a stable for the James Bond movies. But even like Marvel doesn't do opening credit sequences they do an opening title at most and then there's all end credits and whatnot but it was this really stylized thing of it and it's funny because one of the reviews actually said that when sam mendes left the bond franchise guy Ritchie was floated around as a possible replacement he didn't take the gig but wrath of man shows that he certainly could have classing up his signature technique while never quite abandoning the cockney swagger it's just funny that you equate that that's a bond. And then the, somebody else equated it to bond as well, but the action's mm-hmm. incredible. The opening sequence is incredible. I think my, my, you know, before we get into the ratings, I think this is to kind of mirror what I was talking about with spoiler alert. I could not find spoilers for wrath of man before we went and saw it. We saw it opening night and I know you get a, a, a sick, a sick thrill from I'm me walk, walking in unprepared to a movie. <laughs> Um, obviously these types of movies like somebody dies like people die it's crime movie you know I was surprised at just how many people died and when I say how many people I mean almost everyone (laughs) with the exception of Andy Garcia the last two men standing at the end of the movie are Jason Statham and Andy Garcia as it should be um, but I was surprised and I was just like, oh, I wonder, oh, is this person going to make it out? Is this person going to make it out? It, no, every, fucking everybody dies. So like what? Uh, I don't know. Were you expecting anybody to make it out? It's it's tough because I mean, it's not like Guy Ritchie always just it's not like Guy Ritchie's Tarantino where right. there's always a high body count. I mean, right. in general, there was there was a decent number of people that died, but there wasn't a ton. And 
and same if you go back through some of his other movies but um statham movies yes there's usually pretty high body count but i was i was still taken by surprise with just how many people like you keep thinking like oh maybe this person's gonna end up you know or maybe this person is but yeah there's a it, it was a little surprising. There's a couple of people you thought were going to make it out that didn't end up making it out, which, uh, which I, Hey, I'm, I'm always for kind of that, that shock and awe aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I had a blast with it. It was everything that I thought it would be and more, which again leads us to, we're going to give actually, you know what, this gives us good opportunity before we give the popcorn ratings for wrath of man. Let's take a quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of the Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider Becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, we're back again. We got to give the popcorn ratings for Wrath of Man. David, what is your popcorn rating? for this guy, Richie, Jason Statham. I don't know, maybe not masterpiece, but. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to go with, you know, I've thought on this and, you know, I keep coming back to the fact that like, I have this strong desire to go back to the theaters and watch it again. So I'm actually going to give it movie theater, popcorn and a soda. I can't call it perfect. There's, there's definitely some issues in there um, throughout the film. I'm not sure. going to call it. You know, it's not going to be winning any awards, but if you're into <laughs> Jason Statham, if you're into Guy Ritchie, this movie does not disappoint. It's it's definitely, um, you know, a good time. It moves quickly. I mean, it is, I think, close to two hours, but at the same time, like I didn't find myself feeling like this movie is is long. It's one minute under two hours. It's 119. Yes. I feel like it's it moves very quickly. The chapter's... Um, bring a, a, an interesting dynamic to it. And uh, I would gladly go see it again. And so I think I'm going to go with movie theater, popcorn and a soda. Yeah. I, uh, I'm probably going to parrot you there as well. Like I, it was, and this is, again, this is, I mean, listen, it's our podcast. It's our show. We fully admit to have personal biases in the fact that this is very on brand like this movie, Jason Statham, Guy Ritchie, Heist, Andy Gar like they, it's it's like they bribed us with everything that they put in the movie and it succeeded. Like it met every benchmark that we were hoping for. And I think objectively, we don't give it perfect popcorn because we know objectively like it is a little messy and we know objectively that. I mean, I think that's really it. Like, it looks great. It's got great action. It's a little messy, but, you know, damn, if, Listen, if it's not a lot of fun. 
Listen, revenge is always a little messy. <laughs> revenge is indeed a little messy. So I will also give it uh, the the movie theater popcorn and a soda for Wrath of Man. And that brings us to the last movie, the newest movie that's out right now on HBO Max. If you want to watch it on HBO Max, I would encourage you to see this in the movie theaters. But this for as much as Wrath of Man is our jam, a lot of those who wish me dead was like flashing bright lights in my eyes. Those who wish me dead is the newest movie to come out. It came out uh, last Friday. Angelina Jolie, John Barenthal. It is written and directed by Taylor Sheridan, who like that is my that is one of, if not my guy who I am absolutely interested in seeing what he is making. Uh, Taylor Sheridan, for those of you who don't know, he wrote Sicario. He wrote Heller Highwater, Best Picture nominee, Heller Highwater. He wrote and directed Wind River. He created the television show Yellowstone. He wrote Sicario 2. And then he, he was he a writer on Sons of Anarchy or is he an actor on Sons of Anarchy? Uh, both. I think I think I don't know that he did a ton of writing, but he was definitely an actor on Sons of Anarchy. There you go. So that's your that's your personal connection to him. Although I got like halfway through Sons of Anarchy. I tried for you. Um, maybe one day I'll return to it. I'm trying. To, I'm not trying to pick a fight. But what is it to you about Taylor Sheridan movies that we connect with so much? Because all those movies that we mentioned, Scario, Hell or High Water, Wind River, we love those movies. Like those movies are phenomenal to us. Those were amongst the best of, of the year in the years that they came out. What is it to you about the ways Taylor Sheridan tells stories, whether he's writing or directing that you think like you latch on to? I think for me, it's, it's the character building that he is able to do. And in a movie like this, where it's, you know, it's only an hour and 40 minutes. So it's a, and there's a lot that happens. I mean, even just geographically, we have characters go from Florida to Montana and there's a lot of backstory that we're trying to fill in. And um, I think he just does a really phenomenal job of no matter how much screen time someone has on there, you, you feel the relationships. And some of that's a credit to the actors um, that are portraying the characters, but when it run when it's a through line across everything that he does, I think you have to give credit to the writing um, in that sense. And I think uh, he does that again in this in this movie is um, there's characters that are maybe only on the screen for five, ten minutes that you feel an attachment to or at least feel the relationship that they have with other characters. And I think um, that's something that I always enjoy. Um, obviously, you know, you and I have talked about it. I don't think we, we didn't do wind river together, but we've talked about it plenty together about what we love about Taylor Sheridan and the, and the backdrop that he uses of almost like a Western feel like any of his movies thus far could be dropped into a Western setting and could be made, you know, as a, you know, early 1900s or 1800s movie and you'd be believable and you could see that storyline playing out and you and I both grew up on Westerns and enjoyed them a lot. And so I enjoy seeing kind of like this neo-Western or this, you know, current time Western being played out on screen with some from stories that are believable. 
um, which I think that was a, a trait of Westerns too, in a lot of ways is because there's set in the time that they are, there's not a bunch of like unbelievable right. stunts or effects or things like that. Everything feels very real. And I think yes. you use the term like lived in. Yeah. And, and so that's what I always enjoy about his movies. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you said it perfectly. Like I love that you can take, if, if you replace the, the only thing that you can't replace and you would have to find a way around is like cell phones and radios, right? Like obviously, but if you took all the guns used in his movies and replaced them with good old fashioned, you know, Colt rifles and pistols, it would work. If you replace all the cars with horses, it would work. You know, you replace the modern banks, you replace the modern towns with Western towns, Western banks, whatever it is. And these these movies would still work. And I love that. I love how he, he makes these neo-noir kind of Westerns that explore different parts of the American West. You know, in, in Sicario, it was Texas, Arizona, Mexico. Hell or High Water was Texas. Wind River was Wyoming. This is primarily in Montana. And I love that he loves that as a setting. And he, you know, as you mentioned, he it really explores the wilderness like there are in every one of those movies. There are vast vistas of what the world looks like, you know, and what nature looks like out there. And whether it be the deserts of Heller High Water, Sicario, whether it be the snowy mountains in Wind River, whether it be the the forests of Montana, the burning forests of Montana, he, he does have a way of like showing people this world. And to your point, even though. I mean, we can have the Angelina Jolie conversation right now. Like Angelina Jolie is probably one of our more recognizable celebrities, right? She just has a unique style. She's been around forever. She's a generational talent. And even though there are moments where she sticks out, where just like her, I don't mean this in a weird way. I just personally think that there are certain celebrities and models and whatever, and it can be male, they can be female. I almost say that they are like an alien, like they are so attractive or they have such stark features that it, it goes beyond just being like, I'm attracted to this person. It's just like objectively, you are a beautiful person. You are you, your cheekbones, whatever. And there are a couple of times in this movie where that's a little distracting. But like, I think it's a huge credit to not only Taylor Sheridan, but also Angelina Jolie, that she is in this movie as this like haunted troubled former smoke jumper firefighter and for the most part seems to fit in really well in that setting and in that role you know there's there's a moment at the beginning of the film where she's just like sitting and drinking with the other firefighters and you just feel like these guys have been together for forever and this crew's been together for forever and that there's no male or female it's just like these are just the rowdy fire bunch and I think she's pretty good in it. Like she's for, for everything that she has to do in this movie. I think Angelina Jolie is pretty good at it. If we got to start talking about the cast, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, like, like you said, I think it's, it's not her fault that she looks the way that she does. I mean, I got, obviously she chooses to stay in shape and all that kind of stuff. So she definitely, <laughs> right. uh, she definitely plays a part in, in her appearance, but like she is someone that is just like, doesn't matter if you dirty her up if you you know have her get struck by lightning have her get you know whatever dragged through the mud like oh she's still going to be 
uh, Angelina Jolie. Like she is still going to be that person that just jumps off the screen um, with her looks. And like, there's, there's literally nothing that you can do to hide that. Right. And I think um, to your point, I think she's a good actress and I think she does a good job um, in this movie. There's just not a whole lot for her to grab onto in this movie. Like, because it's run at such a fast pace, like, it's not like there's a ton of time spent developing her. Like, yes, we get a little bit of her backstory. We get a little bit of time on her own. Some flashbacks. Some flashbacks. But this is meant to be lean. This isn't meant to be like, let's win Angelina Jolie and Oscar. Like, no, this movie would be two hours long at a minimum if we were trying to get Angelina Jolie and Oscar. No, this is, this is about the story. This is about the pacing. This is about just being, you know, a, a throwback kind of action thriller type movie and so um i think because of that she's not too distracting there's a couple times where you're maybe taken out of it when she's off on her own and you're like this is angelina jolie like living in a fire tower right Um, but outside of that like i think the cast is great i love like i don't walk away from it being like man i loved angelina jolie and that i walk away being like eh, angelina jolie was fine (laughs) um but i love like I love Finn Little and I love Nicholas Holt. Um, you know, I could I could enjoy watching those guys even more on screen than they are. Like, it's such a fun dynamic of like, you know, I think they're brothers. I don't know that we necessarily lean too much into the brothers. Oh, Aiden, of it. Aiden Gillen. Uh, oh, sorry. Aiden Gillen. One. Yep. Aiden uh, Gillen, not Finn Little. Aiden Little. Gillen. And Nickel, Nicholas Holt, Finn Little, Little's the, the kid. Finn Little's a kid, and Finn Little is great as the kid. He's he is great as the kid. He's not like anytime you have a movie with a kid, you always run the risk of them being annoying or them being a little shithead or, or something like that. And Finn Little's great in this movie as like the kid, you know, the imperial well, and kid. I, and, well, and I think uh, that's more credit to Taylor Sheridan how he writes it because I think a lot of times people. You know, and and right. some of it's the performance by the kid too, but they write him into all these like whiny experiences and things like that. Like, you know, they make this kid relatively quiet, which I would argue if a kid goes through a traumatic circumstance like this, they uh-huh. probably are going to be quiet. They're not going to be whiny and and uh, talking and needy and all that kind of stuff. Like, they're probably going to be very introverted and just go inside. And so exactly. Um, no, I enjoyed him, but no, Aiden Gillen, Littlefinger, and and Nicholas Holt. Uh, what's he in X Men? Uh, uh, Beast. And he's oh, yeah, in, Beast. and he's in that other. He's in a Hulu show. Uh, yeah, the Hulu show. Nicholas Holt. You you keep keep going because they're great. They're they're fantastic. Like I could watch their the dynamic. <laughs> That's for funny. Another, it's called the Great. <laughs> I could I could I could watch them on screen even more. Like they were probably my two favorite characters in this film. Oh, they're so good. They're uh, so then, good because they're so they're also like they're e- they're they're evil, right? They're the hitmen. They are bad dudes and they are here to kill anybody that gets in their way and they are just brutal. But but you can't help but also like respect their efficiency. You know? Like they are absolutely. professionals. Um and I I just love I don't know what it is, but it's just like the fact that they start the fire, like, let's give them something else to worry about so that they're not hunting down, you know, us while we're trying to hunt down this kid. 
I'm into it. I don't care how mid nineties it is. I'm into it. I love it. It's so good. Yep. And you know what? I love, I'm a big John Bernthal fan. Yes. Uh, there's not much that he's done that I can think of that I didn't enjoy. I mean, let's, let's talk through. I mean, I, I don't think I realized this until I went in and looked up his filmography, but like starts out with walking dead. I've never got into it, but obviously people, adore walking dead he was great uh, he's like he made it two seasons in i think and then don't get me started on walking dead we'll continue on <laughs> i mean it's about zombies so he could show up at any it's, time so. it's just misery porn like that anyway it just became misery like misery misery <laughs> misery but then he's frank castle and punisher in, in yep. our daredevil series which we loved and then obviously gets his own um spinoff there uh-huh he was, he was in, in the he was the, the pacific, pacific. Uh, yeah he's in the pacific spielberg got wolf, a hold of him tom hanks got wolf, a hold of him wolf of wall street scorsese he has, he has Yuri, worked sicario accountant baby driver wind river widows ford v ferrari i mean come on i mean obviously he's become one of taylor sheridan's guys because yes. a lot of what i just listed off is taylor sheridan taylor sheridan <laughs> has done but i mean that's a I mean, I've enjoyed, I just listed off a, a bunch of movies that I really, right. really like. <laughs> You're talking, and also, like, uh, this is one of my favorite parts. This is going to, I promise you this will make sense, but, like, one of my favorite parts um, about, like, young people biography, right? Like, when you see an up-and-coming actor, not, not biography, but, like, let's take, for example, Adam Driver, all right? Filmography. When you can literally point to like Adam Driver's filmography and be like, he has worked with ev all damn near every major director in Hollywood. That says something about the guy's skill. And Loki Bernthal is right there too. This guy has worked with Oliver Stone. He has worked with uh, Scorsese. You know, he's worked with James Mangold, Denny Villeneuve. Uh, he's worked with freaking Edgar Wright. You know, he's worked with Steve McQueen, St like Steve McQueen. He's worked with e Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, stuff like that. Like James Mangold. Yeah, it's just like. And and again, he's not always the. Heavy either, like there are a lot of those roles where he's this gruff angry mean like dude i mean the punisher is obviously the example of like this guy is super intense but what i love about like this movie is like he's a you know soon to be father he's a he feels like a very real person but he also feels very intense um and i think that's one of my favorite parts about the movie as a whole is we talked about particularly without remorse and wrath of man are about these people who are highly skilled and there's no one else in the world who can do it Right. And there's something about all of the characters in those who wish me dead that they are all very clearly highly skilled, but they also feel like human. You know, they feel like like the two hitmen are clearly on top of their game. There's several instances where they are shown to be very smart, very calculated. Um, and then at the same time, like Angelina Jolie is proven to be very capable. Uh John Bernthal, as we said, proven to be capable. Uh, John Bernthal's, um, I'm going to look up her name, Medina Sanghor, who plays his wife, like very capable, smart characters, not dumb people who do dumb shit 
just to like have the movie happen. You know, like there are so many times and I don't mind that, you know, there are a lot of times where it's like, well, why did he do that? Well, so the movie could continue. Right. That doesn't always make logical sense. Everybody, everybody's actions in this movie make logical sense and they're smart and they're not idiots. And that just makes the movie that much better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I give you a random burn yes. all no <laughs> okay yes please his uncle-in-law is kurt angle wrestler kurt angle really yes uncle-in-law he's, he's, he's married to aaron angle which is the i would assume the niece of kurt angle son of a bitch well now i mean we could just end the podcast right here he, he also is cousins too and he's since deceased but the uh he was a founding member of his name's adam schlesinger he was a founding member of fountains of wayne that's my guy Um, yeah fountains of wayne yeah so he was cousins with him so he's got all these random weird connections they're like married and they have like a big family they got like four or five kids yeah good for them good for you john barenthal that's hilarious Imagine having Olympic gold medalist and multi WWE champion Kurt Angle as your uncle in law. <laughs> that would be intimidating. Right. I'm, that's, you know what? I got to give you credit. That's like maybe one of the best random facts I think I've ever heard you pull out. <laughs> that's phenomenal. Phenomenal stuff. That's what I'm here for. Random, it's, random stuff. It's so good. And so, and we, you know, the thing is, is we didn't even talk about the fire. We didn't even talk yeah. about the fact that this is a. Uh... And again, you said it like the stakes for all three of these movies. I mean, without remorse, a little bit, you know, they're trying to stop a war between America and Russia, blah, blah, blah. But Wrath of Man, Those Who Wish Me Dead. One of the things I like about all three of these movies is that the stakes are fairly low. And just and to be completely honest, like that's refreshing. It's refreshing when everybody is trying to make another sequel that has to deal with the end of the world or stopping somebody from gaining absolute power or blah, 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 whatever. Not that I don't like those movies. You know, I will be there for the next James Bond. I will be there for the next Marvel movie. But I just like how this is literally a movie that not only could you make in the mid nineties, but like almost it was kind of was made in the mid nineties. Like, uh, I don't know if you remember the trailers and I'll have to see if I can ever find the trailer, but when they decided after Howie long did so good in face off as the main henchman, they're like, we're going to give this guy his own movie and the trailers for firestorm we're just like America's next great action star, Howie Long. Spoiler alert, he was not America's next great action star, but he does good on, on the NFL, uh, on the NFL shows. But like just that's almost the same movie. You know, it's got convicted criminals, uh, you know, going up against firefighters during a raging wildfire. And again, I think what just elevates this is that the effects are better than they were back then. The characters, the world that you live in are better than they were back then. And that is what replaces like these world ending stakes, you know, is that you care about these people. You care about the kid. You care about Angelina Jolie and all that she goes through. It's like you said, she gets the shit kicked out of her. They got she gets she falls down that rope and she gets the rope burned and it's got the little strands of rope she's pulling out of her hand. Like I felt that, you know, you feel that when she's fighting uh, Holt at the end. 
you're just like, how's she going to make it out of this? And that to me is a testament of, of a good movie. You know, that's yep. something that, that if you really thinking like, how is she going to get out of this? Even though, you know, like it's Angelina Jolie, she's going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that. This isn't Oscar Angelina Jolie. This is like, Wanted Angelina Jolie. This is Mr. and Mrs. Smith Angelina Jolie or Gone in 60 Seconds even without the white dreadlocks Angelina Jolie. Um, Yeah, I just and I love a good fire movie like every I don't know about you. This sent me down a path of disaster movies. Um, I watched what the hell did I watch? I watched Dante's Peak, Volcano. Volcano and Backdraft. There you go. And it's just like, yes, bring the fire. And none of the like and Backdraft is a legitimately great movie. And that's another one where it's like this is a crime movie with an overarching plot, you know, dealing with the the you know fires are a part of it. But Dante's Peak of Volcano are not very good movies, and yet they're hey, also hey, awesome. Hey, hey, hey. Watch it. <laughs> they are listen, I, I love them. They're awesome. They're not very good. Listen, anyway, I I'll 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 let that slide. I, what I will say, though, with this film, like if there's nitpicks to be had, I think people, what, and I haven't looked at a lot of the reviews, but something that I could see people walking away from it is like, there's a lot of unanswered questions. And I think that's done. There's a intentionally. few, yeah. Um, like we don't really know if our two hitmen, like who hired them? Like, is this right. a government cover up? Is this like, we don't know, really, we don't know who the bad is. Like, right. we have Tyler Perry show up, but he seems more like the boss of these two hitmen than necessarily he, the people who hired these hitmen. He seems like the manager. Like, he's the, exactly. he's, he's, he's middle the manager. manager here. He, he's, um, he's the guy who runs the hitman business. Exactly. <laughs> and so, like, we don't really know who the big bad is. We know that the, the dad is an accountant. And forensic accountant and he's found but we don't even we don't even know like who he was looking into right we know it was governors did like all we know is that he figured it out but we don't know anything further and so like there's a lot of unanswered questions there um you know what is he wanting to put into the news and like all that kind of stuff so right i get if people walk away and be like we weren't even told like half of the stuff that is important about this. I think you're kind of missing the point. Like to me, this movie was more about like survival. Yes. uh, You know, and that theme is throughout the film, whether it be Angelina Jolie surviving, you know, a horrific incident, like, and and coming out of it on the other end, the kid surviving a horrific incident and coming out on the other end. Um, You know, even the concept of fire, like, of making it through a fire and, and what comes after it and those types of things. Right. And the cleansing power of fire. Yeah. And so I think this movie wasn't about like who's the bad guy or that kind of thing. It was, is more about kind of obviously the kid and Angelina Jolie and their story moving forward. But you look at even like John Berthold's character and his, his wife, they run a survival school and things like that. Like, survival is very much at the center of what this movie is about and so um, I just didn't you know we've said it already like I just enjoy the way that Taylor Sheridan tells stories I enjoy that this movie is an hour and 40 like that to me makes it even a little bit more enjoyable like if I would have gotten 15 more minutes to develop some of these plot lines or even 20 more minutes to develop these plot lines 
yes, maybe I would have called it a better movie, but would I have come back to it as much? Like, I don't know that I would have. Like, it right. wouldn't be as rewatchable if I had to sit through two hours. Now that it's an hour and 40 minutes, like, once this thing gets going, like, it just moves. And I yes. could easily see myself getting sucked into watching this movie start to finish if it's on TV. Oh, easily, easily. And that's what's great about it is like it does feel like one of those rewatchable movies where you can pop in at any moment and be like, oh, this is going to happen next or oh, wait, this is coming up. This is five minutes from now. Um, and again, I think it works for the movie. I think, you know, as a, I think it's also a, a little bit of a detriment, but I, I love it nonetheless. But this is very clearly. um I think probably the lesser of Taylor Sheridan movies, just in terms of like overall impact. Right. Because and I'm going to include the movies that he wrote as well. You know, he's only directed Wind River. That was his really his debut. Um, but like Sicario obviously had a lot to say about the relationship between, you know, the American intelligence community and the, the, the drug cartels and the whole war on drugs. Like it had a lot to say about that. Um, Heller Highwater had a lot to say about the financial situations. A lot of these people who live in these prairies, who live in out in the in the boondocks and how they're being preyed upon by banks and how they're fighting back against that. Like it has a lot to say about that. Wind River has a ton to say. Wind River might be my favorite out of all of them, although Heller Highwater, I think, is more fun than Wind River. Wind River might be the most dramatically impactful. Like that movie has a lot to say about the way that, you know, indigenous people, Native Americans have been treated and are still currently treated on, on the reservations that they're a part of. This doesn't really have anything to say about that. You know, they, they make, like you said, they make a little comment about how, like, I'm a forensic accountant. This implicates governors and congressmen and stuff like that. But that's it. You know, it's one could one could make an argument that there's something to be said about, like, trauma. And whatnot, like and and over overcoming trauma because that's a big part of Angelina Jolie's character, but you know it kind of just ends. You know there isn't like a six months later where we see like oh everything's okay. Like it, the police are there, the police show up, the movie ends. That feels very vintage to me, and I, I don't know. It's weird to say like I like it, I respect it, I appreciate it, and also recognize that it is not as dramatically impactful as some of those other things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So anyway, with with all of that being said, let's wrap it up with our final popcorn ratings. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. David, what popcorn rating are you going to give those who wish me dead? I'm going to give it the same as what I gave Wrath of Man, which is movie theater popcorn and a soda. Okay. I enjoy it a lot. It's 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 darn near perfect popcorn for me. Um, and a lot of that's probably the Taylor Sheridan bias. But, um, <laughs> you know, the more I've kind of sat on it and thought about it, like I enjoy like the pacing of it, the characters mm-hmm. that are in it. Again, mm-hmm. like um, this isn't to, to knock on Angelina Jolie, but like I love every other character in there um and she's fine but i really enjoy all the supporting characters around right um and just i mean it's a it's a great backdrop it's a classic kind of um, as we've talked about in taylor sheridan form western feel to it and i just it was a great time yeah it, it is a great time i am also there as well and that's i don't think it makes a very interesting podcast but like i'm gonna agree with you i i think it's the same for everything that i said 
about why it's good for everything that I said, where it's like, I can still recognize that there are some areas that aren't as strong, especially, especially in comparison to, to other Taylor Sheridan movies. Like if you can go see this movie in a movie theater, do it. Like it is just a good time. It's a great, great movie to get away, watch, watch people be badasses. Uh, and I really enjoyed it. And there's nothing, nothing. There are very few things, David, that will be as satisfying as an axe fight, like by a forest fire. Like that is my shit. Like you're telling me we're going to have an axe fight and then the glow of the forest fire like is looming and we have that danger. I'm into it, man. Like there's a, they don't even have an axe fight in backdraft, but there's a moment where like Kurt Russell and Scott Glenn are like, we're going to have an axe fight. And I'm jacked. I get pumped every time, even though I know they don't actually do it. So I I just can't help it. I can't help it. I love this movie. I had a blast with it. And I think it's there are a ton of worse ways to spend an hour and 40 minutes. Right. Like there's a way there's you you spend an hour and 40 minutes in a cold movie theater in in the middle of of a growingly hot summer. Do it. Do what you can. Um, I think that's going to do it. Yeah, that is going to do it. That is going to wrap up this episode. But before we go, I want to remind everybody that you can get free episodes sent to your device. Whatever you're listening on, wherever you listen to podcasts, look up the popcorn diet, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, don't forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of a, of a small little independent film podcast at a time in which films desperately need your attendance in movie theaters. Uh, check us out. Patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles and more on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but for the canadian machine mr david melhorn i am your very best good movie buddy rick williamson and we'll see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diet adios